Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Hello and welcome to another episode of Becoming Whole podcast. Today I'm here with Cyan Pascal, who's an experienced energetic breath, meditation and yoga teacher. I first met Cyan a couple of weeks ago as she was running a, a meditation and yoga class in the Botanical Gardens in St. Kilda. It was a beautiful um, community event where she drew two to 300 people and it was such an incredible event um, with like-minded um, people. Um, So just a little bit about Cyan, her teachings draw from Mother India where she lived and trained for several years. She learned through the Hatha, Ashtanga and Tantric lineages. She teaches privately and collectively, locally and internationally. And her self-practice and dedication to the yogic path has allowed her to merge ancient teachings into a modern language that everyone can access. She creates conscious experiences that reconnect her students to the rhythms and cycles of the natural world in order to harness subtle vibration for deep shifts and expansive states of being. So beautiful. Thanks for coming on to the show, Cyan. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. So let's have a chat about what sort of led you to this path. Um, You know, I've seen quite a lot on social media, different things that you've been doing. You Mm -hmm. seem to be doing some incredible things within Melbourne, but also around the world as well. So let's kind of go back a little bit in time Mm -hmm. and let, let the audience know sort of what led you to this place. Sure. Um, Look, I think that it's funny. My story is a long story because I really feel that it starts even before I was born. I come from this matrilineal ancestry of women who were really spiritually connected and intuitive, really strong women. And that has had a really profound impact on me from an early age. So some of the sort of intuitive and natural even mystical experiences I probably had growing up was normalized in lots of ways so things weren't so strange and it's funny because um, somebody asked me what was your first meditation class when did you first start teaching and it took me back to a moment when I was 10 and I was teaching yeah the children that I was studying with at school in primary school and I was doing a meditation with them a guided meditation and it's not to say that this was some kind of divine intervention but I think that I was always aware of it I mean I must have picked it up from somewhere god knows where but that kind of thing was really sort of a part of my being from a young age I really started to get serious with meditation though when I was 16 so I was in year 12 and I was really working hard and I've always been a very hard worker and it was to the point where my stress levels were creating in me migraines that were so bad that I was going to hospital and they would be putting me on horse tranquilizers and yeah so for weeks afterwards I would be in this kind of daze and I was really fortunate to have an English teacher who gave me a cassette tape it was that long ago Wow! when I was in year 12 and it was a progressive muscle relaxation and she said try this and so every day I did this meditation so from 16 I was meditating for about an hour every day after school and I mean that's the kind of thing when I think about my story or my path into where I am now it's always been this combination of a pinnacle moment, I suppose you can say, a moment of stress or burnout, which really happens to me a lot. It's very, you know, easy for me to work too hard. I have a gift or some kind of intuitive moment. And then again, I drop into a practice. So yeah, I really worked hard at meditating, really. I did it every day and it was kind of quite profound. I stopped getting migraines and I was able to focus a lot better during my studies and you know I really smashed high school I got 
99 and everyone was super surprised like my whole family as well but all of those things really supported me I suppose you know then from there I ended up doing architecture so I was in architecture school and at about 19 again I find myself burnt out I really I put a lot of pressure on myself and um my there were two things that happened so my mum first of all said you've got to go and do some yoga. So she started taking me to a yoga class that was, I mean, this is back in 2001 or something like that, or 2002. And so yoga classes weren't what they are now. It wasn't any fancy studio. We were in a school hall, but she managed to find this incredible teacher and he was teaching Ashtanga. And so my first real kind of deep exploration into yoga I'd done a few classes at the gym before and that sort of thing, but that was with a really strong lineage and with a really powerful teacher. And he encouraged me to start a daily practice. And when I said to him, I can't do a daily practice because I don't have a yoga mat, he gave me a yoga mat. Yeah, so I I had these moments where people pushed me along. And then from there, well, yeah, I started doing yoga every day. And at that time as well, I remember I had gone into my sister's room and I found on her bed, and she doesn't even know where it came from. It was a book by Deepak Chopra called Perfect Health. And it's all about Ayurveda, which is the Indian science of life and health. And I found that book at 19 and I read it cover to cover probably four or five times. And I started to really live an Ayurvedic lifestyle. So at 19, I'm sort of meditating, I'm doing yoga, I'm doing Ayurveda, but then at the same time, I'm studying really hard. I'm, I'm living this kind of double life in lots of ways. But there was always this distinction for me where I knew I had to look after myself. I think I kind of had the constitution that could burn out, that would get sick, that was prone to migraines. And all of those things in the end were a support for me in my practice. So throughout my 20s, I was really creative and I was studying and I traveled. I lived in Copenhagen and the Netherlands and London and I spent long periods of time in Papua New Guinea and you know I I had this really kind of creative vibrant life and working as an artist as well and had shows and started to do ceramic work and it was really I mean it was an incredible time for me but at the same time it was it was a struggle I think your 20s always are because I never knew how that balance would work between my kind of creative life and my life on the side as a spiritual being. I didn't know how to allow the two to overlap. So I got to a point in my career as a designer, interior designer and architect, where I decided I wanted to go big. I wanted to go overseas. And I was deciding between Brazil and India And I walked into a bookshop and again, I just had one of these intuitive moments. And I mean, maybe it's just super wild, but I saw this book by these architects that I really admired called Studio Mumbai. And I saw the book and I just knew I've got to go to India. So that's, you know, and that's when things really changed. Amazing. Wow. What an incredible story. And it really sounds like from your, um, you know, your story that really there was something there from either a past life or, you know, just mm. from the, you know, early beginnings of your life, you were inspired to this path. 100%. Um, and then the fact that you were surrounded by people that also supported your journey as well is quite incredible, but mm. you were also receptive to it. Yeah, that's mm. so true. It's having that. And I think that some people will see glimpses yeah. and they'll have moments where the veil is kind of becomes thin is all, you know, there's a mystery that I think most people actually experience, but for many, they block it out and they don't want to know about it. And that is fine. That is totally fine. But I think that, like you said, I was sort of surrounded by people who accepted it. It wasn't a big deal. And so when I had moments, Mm -hmm. you know, especially around dream states and astral travel, 
that was happening to me quite young. And even though there wasn't the framework of understanding, I didn't have hippie parents who meditated and did yoga and all of that. They were also just a kind of a holding space for me mm. for whatever I needed and however I needed to express it. I was really lucky. That's, yeah, that's incredible to have that support and that openness as yes. well. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So let's let's talk about India. Mm. Um, we've, we've previously spoken a little bit about it, but um, I'd love you to share sort of what happens in India, you know, I think it's an incredibly brave thing to do to head to India to pursue your dreams. Mm. So kind of how did that all come together? And then how did that also begin to bring your two worlds together? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because I never had before conceptualized it as bringing those two worlds together. Mm. But that is really 100% what started to happen there. So it was hard. Mm. Like getting there was hard and it was definitely a brave move and Things weren't easy, Mm. but I made it happen. And when I got there, I was looking for work. I found some work as a designer, but I ended up actually getting some commissions as an architect and interior designer. And so I started up my own multidisciplinary design studio, which was called Young Citizens. Yeah. And it was incredible. (laughs) it It was probably the most productive creative time in my life it was Mm. wild mental it was all happening at once and I was doing it all I was designing a boutique hotel an art gallery I did work for a charitable organization I was running all over town and the thing about India is that you have to do everything. So if, <laughs> so if I wanted a basin that looked like this, you can't get it on the market. So I was making the basin. So I was doing everything. I was making furniture and I was designing tiles and it was just wild. So that was happening. And then at the same time, I had this other moment, another gift, another experience with a teacher. And she offered me to become an apprentice with her. So really I had to show up and be at nearly all of her classes that she ran. And we entered into what is really quite a traditional Indian way of teaching, which is a guru student relationship. And she would kill me if she heard this, calling her a guru, because she's, no, I'm not, I'm just your soul sister. She's an incredible teacher. Her name is Vandana Yadav, and she's in Mumbai, which is where I was living. So we started a relationship that went for over two years, and I would practice with her. I was learning by osmosis, just being around her, her vibration, her style of teaching was really profound, really, really incredible. And... At the same time, if she ever went away, I would teach for her. So she had a support of a sort of student teacher. Um, That was a really incredible way to start teaching. And I came to a time in my life in Mumbai where I was experiencing again this burnout state. I was working so hard. But... I knew that I couldn't leave just yet because India for me is this, this overlapping. It's just an incredible place where you have the ancient kind of yogic teachings that are everywhere. You're experiencing it in everyday life. I was constantly exposed to mantra and bhakti and a yogic philosophy. And India has always been a very natural place for me I mean the first time I went when I was 22 I just knew I had to stay there I was I was there for ended up being there for say three months Uh, the way they eat the way they kind of the way they are as humans is so generous and open and spiritually connected and so I was always absorbing that while I was there but then at the same time, there is this, especially in a city like Mumbai, which has 26 million people in it. And I mean, I don't know how big it is. I have no concept because time and space is so relative when you're in a condensed place like Mumbai. But there is a real pressure cooker type of atmosphere there. It's go, go, go all the time. And I knew I had to get out, but I wasn't ready to leave before I did official training with my teaching so 
I finished up the hotel project. I tied up all my loose ends in the city and I went and did my teacher training. And it was a pretty interesting time to do it because as a designer, everything was blowing up for me. And it was, I was getting covered in like the New York Times and Washington Post and all over Mumbai. Everybody wanted a piece of me because no one had done the kind of work that mm. I'd done there. It, I mean, it was just different to what had been done before. And then at the same time, I had shifted into yoga teaching mode. And by the end of a month of being exposed to philosophy and chanting and pranayam, my vibration had completely changed. Mm. It had lifted to the point where I realized that if I went back into that old life, it would almost be an act of self-harm. And yeah. yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go there anymore. It was really, really difficult. And it was probably the first experience that I had where the practice had elevated me in a way that my whole world just shifted. It was like the entire axis of my world changed. I came back to Melbourne. I tried to do some work as a designer. And I mean, God bless my beautiful friend and boss who took me on because she put me on a Nando's and <laughs> I was trying to design a Nando's and it was just mm. not happening for me and I had to leave. So I came back to India and I did more study. I went up to Rishikesh. I met two really important teachers then for me, Mataji, who is at Paramat Nikitan in Rishikesh. And mm-hmm. she is she opened up the world of mantra and chanting to me in a way that had started during my teacher training, but really blossomed the power of mantra mm-hmm. and meditation. And then I also met my tantra teacher, Pramananda, and... He said to me, I mean, he didn't know anything about me, but he said, you can't wait another 10 years. And I thought, wow, 10 years previously, I had wanted to do a tantric practice, but I was so young Mm -hmm. and I had talked to my boyfriend at the time. And this is just like a flashback. And I thought, and I didn't do it. And I thought, Mm. wow, how does this guy know that? And he said, you've got to, you've got to continue on Mm. with this path. Mm. And I ended up working with him for a couple of years. And those two things really, again, just shifted where I went as a yoga teacher. And also more importantly, where I went as a yoga practitioner, Mm. because the thing that I have found is the most powerful aspect of being a teacher is you having to live it yeah and that isn't always easy I struggle here in Melbourne I have to really support myself to have a high or elevated vibration to continue on with my practice because without that you know I'm just another person doing yoga right? Mm -hmm. And that I think is what's really important. And there are a couple of key things that even we did, Claire, before we started this Mm. practice. And those two things were taught to me by the teachers at my um, teacher training, which was an Ashtanga Vinyasa teacher training, but had a thread of Tantra through it. They Mm -hmm. were all secret Tantrics. And they didn't didn't tell us, they didn't push it on us, but we learned a lot of really powerful Mm. practices around energy and movement. Um, And my Tantra teacher also taught me this and it's about consecration and consecration is the thing that every time I meet someone, especially a yoga teacher, I just say to them, consecrate, you need to offer up all of the karmic fruits of what you're doing, offer it up. You don't get the good, you don't get the bad. Mm. And that is really powerful as a yoga teacher because I think that a lot of teachers burn out from the work that they're doing and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. 
And I find that because of these key practices that I was blessed to receive, I have noticed through my own diligence and my own daily practice of doing it, the power that it has on my classes, the way I teach and my students will say this to me and I feel it. It's almost as though when I step into a class and teach, it's not me. When I consecrate, when I offer it up, I also say, let me be a vessel for the divine teachings. Mm -hmm. And this is also such a great thing for student teachers or people who are starting out when you feel nervous about getting up in front of a class, just get the ego out of it. The thing you just have to remind yourself, I didn't make up these postures. (laughs) I didn't make up this breath exercise. It doesn't actually have to be about me at all. Let me be a vessel. Let it work through me. And then when I step into the space and when I'm teaching, I, I don't have to think about mm. it. And I don't, I, I mean, I plan, but I don't, I don't rigidly plan because I know it can flow. And those things really have completely shifted the way I am in the world and the way I am as a teacher of all of these practices. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful in terms of the what, what you said and the way that you said it. Um, and I think that that's going to add so much value to any yoga teachers that are listening in terms of how important this work is to do before classes and, mm-hmm. you know, the start of every day. Mm. Um, and, you know, what you're, you're saying, I've, I feel this often in classes but not all the time yes because sometimes I haven't done the work myself you know mm-hmm. sometimes I've sometimes I'm so in my head of mm-hmm. I've got to do this got to do that mm-hmm. that I've forgotten yes and I notice the difference when I haven't done that little bit of work that grounding that, grounding. that connection that trust work mm. versus when I do for sure I notice the energy in the room I notice the, the feeling, I can feel a connection between me and the students and something way bigger versus when I haven't done and I'm more in my head. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That gave me full goosebumps. Yeah. I've been getting the goosebumps too. <laughs> I love, love it. that. Mm. And it's, again, to notice it, you have to be in tune and you have to practice it. Mm. And I didn't realize... Yeah, I didn't realize what it was for a long time. I came back to Melbourne and I started to work with a really beautiful studio. And this was another incredible opportunity that was gifted Mm. to me to be able to work full time as a yoga teacher. And during that time, I consecrated before every practice. So I was always offering it up. I was always doing this grounding work before Mm. class started. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is sit down in front of the group of students and you just take a few breaths. It takes 30 seconds. And I went to a teacher's class yesterday and I could see he did it. And it makes such an impact Mm. as a student. And I did that every day for the two years that I was teaching there. Mm -hmm. And teachers, other teachers would come up to me and say, I'm feeling tired. Um, I'm doing too many classes. I, I, I kind of, I don't think I can keep it up. And when I looked at what I was doing, I never felt tired from the teaching. I felt tired from the other stuff, having to get up early. Look, I'm no angel when it comes to waking up early. I don't wake (laughs) up at 4.30 and do any kind of sadhana. I'm a a. 7am kind of girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other things, the work around it would tire me if I had to clean and do all of that stuff. But the teaching itself, Mm. it was always something which ended up filling me in some way Mm. and I 100% attribute that to these very simple energetic practices all you have to do is sit you offer it up and when you delve into the yogic texts and I'm no expert in across all of the yogic texts but when you look at say the Bhagavad Gita Mm. it's all about working with this energy of karmic exchange 
and doing things without receiving. So yes, as a teacher, it might mean, okay, I don't receive all of the incredible things that could come out of what I'm gifting to my students. But then at the same time, you're potentially not receiving anything bad if you accidentally hurt a student in a class or somebody you know has a kind of experience which isn't positive which can happen in a yoga class you're also not taking that karma mm. on but on top of that the work then becomes without any gain it's just the work for the work's sake it's kind of letting go, would you say? Like surrendering, yeah. non-attachment, kind of. Yes. Yeah, these yeah. types of, yeah. yeah. Mm, mm. Which is hard because, yeah. especially when it's the work that you do and you would know being a teacher mm. that you want to hang on to how the students are feeling. Yeah. Did mm. you have a good class? How are you feeling? Yeah. And when you start to do these practices, there is a level of unattachment that comes that's great which is really Mm. important if you want to have longevity for sure and to also release from being in control of someone else's journey and you've had your journey and especially if it's been a really positive one around yoga I find myself I'm a human I find myself trying to Mm. show it to Mm. a student or a friend and I just have to and that's the learning process to go What you're going to go through is going to be different to me and it is going to be perfect. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So, so true. Like definitely had some of those experiences and you've inspired me to, you know, put more practices in around that to Mm -hmm. really support myself, but also support the, you know, the community for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And we will be going through that practice in a moment. Okay. Cool. Um, so what would you say were the key things that have changed within yourself from mm-hmm. incorporating the practices, but after your training, mm-hmm. you know, what, what shifts did you see within yourself? And um, I know that, you know, for the journey that I've taken, it's not always the most fun (laughs) you know like there are definite as you go deeper into yourself and do the work Mm -hmm. um I've definitely come up against parts of myself that perhaps you know I didn't really want to see and I wanted to keep hidden Mm -hmm. um and so that can be quite confronting um what kind of experiences have you had look I agree yeah when you walk the spiritual path you have these moments where it's bliss it's you're connected to something greater you're connected to all the people around you and then you hit a moment where you've got to learn and it's tough and it's hard and I suppose for me a lot of the changes happened when I was quite young as Mm. well so being around about 16 to 19 when I started to meditate the things that I noticed straight away was how it heals me it's yeah. this incredible healing technique and it allowed me to have more control over what was happening health-wise in my own body. So I would do my practice, say when I was 19, I started to do uh, just a really short asana practice every day of Surya Namaskars and um, some standing poses and I would notice what was going on within me. So I could straight away feel, okay, I can sense there's an imbalance here or this is happening in my throat or my head is too full. And I started to do more research, even at a young age, into chakras and energy centers and that sort of thing. And that helped me to understand and control my own energy. And then, I mean, I was a human. Mm. Uh, I I, I shouldn't even use the word human, but I was just a normal Yeah kind of 20 something I was partying Mm. and Mm. I was living a life where I was a designer and loving movies and galleries and cities and all of that sort of stuff and then when I did my teacher training I came back into life in Melbourne and it was really hard Mm. and it was really hard because it was almost as though I had 
some kind of lobotomy or something <laughs> and my entire personality had changed i had become a complete hippie i wanted to wear cotton clothes i used to love this structured high-waisted pencil skirts and and high heels and stilettos and all mm. of that sort of stuff and suddenly i wanted to be in nature and i wanted to be chanting <laughs> and it was it was a it was a really confronting experience because I didn't know who this new person was Mm. and I loved that new person and I loved the states and the energy that I had started to experience but at the same time who was I without that creativity without going out to the fancy restaurant and enjoying all of that stuff suddenly it didn't have Mm. the same meaning and I think that the hard thing about that that people face is how do you manage the analogy of sitting on the mountain and being at the bottom of the mountain in the village because Mm. we're here to have a human experience and that's where Mm. our greatest challenges lie in relationships with other people how do we um, navigate the world Mm. at the same time you know that you can have this bliss and incredible experience during meditation and when you're in silence and when you're away from all of it and I think that finding that balance for me has at times led to moments where I have isolated myself and not wanted to connect with the everyday and the mundane and then when I've had to I've struggled with it Mm -hmm. and then there are other moments where I have dropped so much back into normal everyday living. I mean, even I would say a year ago, I was at a really low point. I'd left my job at the yoga studio to go overseas and do training. And that is just not what the universe had in store for me. And I was back in Melbourne and I had no job and I had no money and I had just ended a really intense relationship. My health was at an all time low and all of that I had stopped practicing. I wasn't connected to my practice in the same way. And all I can say was it was, (laughs) it was a moment again where it's a it's a pinnacle moment of shift and change mm. and I my sister said to me sign you got to get back on your mat and it just started with really getting back into simple asana and I had another friend say to me I see you teaching lots of people in a green space I don't know what it is, but you've got to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was at this point where I had nothing. Like I was really, I was at ground zero. I had no vision of where I wanted to be. I had, I had nothing physically. I had no home even. And he said, you've got to do this project. And so I just started working on it and it became a space for connection. And this was our first community um, event at the St. Kilda Botanical Gardens. And I pulled it together in three weeks and we had about 250 people show up and it was just magic. And I really decided at that point, I want to create in my world through the work that I do, what I want to experience. I want to design a life where I have a tribe of incredible, Mm. connected and conscious people around me where I'm doing the kinds of things that I want to do. And that ended up being really the start of the Light Collective, which is is my business, which is my dharma, my soul work. And that one event started to accumulate and turn into other events and other experiences and out of those moments of real struggle this incredible beauty can also happen but you have to know that when you're in that moment of flow and beauty it's all it's all going to change it'll shift again you'll have another experience which will be a struggle a challenge you'll you'll see that shadow aspect of yourself or you'll you know, experience death and I've had a lot of that in my life. But out of it all, again, 
Mm. There's new awakenings, there's new moments, there's new experiences. Totally, totally. And it's, um, you know, a few years ago I had, well, about four years ago actually, mm-hmm. straight after the yoga teacher training, yeah. you know, my world fell apart and it, <laughs> it, does. Was, it was time and, yep. you know, and, you know, as it does for everyone at different points in their lives. And, um, you know, and I really felt that as well. Um, and it comes back to like that, you know, the analogy of the lotus how the lotus flower grows out of the mud so out of the darkness comes something beautiful but when you're in it it feels horrible but you know trusting and knowing that you know lighter times are ahead definitely did support me during that time yeah and and that's when the teachings that's when they do their real work because totally. it's great when everything is going wonderfully in your life mm. and you feel healthy and you can get up and you do a great practice and you've got yeah. enough money to go to this great yoga studio. Mm. But those times are the easy times and we have these tools. We're really lucky if we've been able to experience a yoga teacher training or an incredible teacher. We have these tools for those times and the thing is, is as you get older, you realize you're going to experience them, experience mm. them again and again. So when they come up, you can kind of step back and out of it, create mm. a bit of space and say to yourself, okay, I see what's going on. I can't see the big plan, but I have faith. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it will it'll show mm. me something else. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just kind of sitting in that place and... Yeah, Trust that's them. the struggle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's easier said than done, of course. Yeah, um, beautiful. So let's um, let's chat a little bit about Light Collective and what it is and what you're kind of creating from this platform. Great. Yeah, I'd love to. So, the Light Collective is for me a beautiful platform to share all of the things that I'm really passionate about from yoga, from the asana, to energy work Mm -hmm. and the felt practices of pranayama and meditation, some of the more esoteric things that I have been able to experience and also to guide people who have had those experiences but don't have the framework. I allow it to be a space where I can teach philosophy and and connect to, like you said at the start of this podcast, the cycles and rhythms of the natural mm. world. It's all going on within us and outside of us. And for me, being in a city like Melbourne, I can feel really disconnected from it all. I remember I was living in Richmond about a year and a half ago, and I wanted to do something at the full moon, and I couldn't even find a place around or near my house where I could see the moon. And there were definitely no full moon yoga practices happening at Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to do practices that weren't around that I wanted to do. Mm. And even though it didn't exist then and people weren't really talking about it as much, Mm -hmm. I knew that if I wanted to do it, there'd be other people out there. I remember talking to my hairdresser. I love her. (laughs) And she said, so what are you going to do? And I said, I think I'm going to do a full moon practice. And I think maybe we could find somewhere where we can have a fire ceremony. And she said to me, I don't know, Cyan, do you think anyone's going to come to that? (laughs) And I said, I have no idea. And that was really the first thing that I put on the first experience that I put on was a full moon yoga practice and we put it on at my friend's house and she has this incredible house and she had a fire pit and we did a practice and well I mean even before that I put it on Eventbrite and I thought god I don't know who's gonna come (laughs) will anyone come and then I had five people and then I had 13 and then we were completely sold out within a week and a half and I said to Helen I can't believe this is sold out we're going to do this I didn't even know what I was going to do like I said I just (laughs) want to do something and I know how to Mm. hold fire ceremony all of these kinds of practices that I'd been doing personally and over in India and that just started something and I've found I mean all of last year has 
has just been one practice after another and they've really unfolded and Mm -hmm. they come out of students who ask I have one student in particular who just says, Cyan, I want to do this. And I'm, okay, Teresa, so no, she's the best. All right, let's do it. So I, I'll put something on. And I was finding I was getting a lot of women mm-hmm. coming to my practices. And I had started to do a bit of work around the divine feminine and Shakti and the goddesses. And there was a real calling for more of it. So I began putting on these divine feminine workshops and gathering women together. And then that turned also into more intimate gatherings of uh, sacred circles with women around the new moon. And it has kind of grown Mm -hmm. and I'm inspired a lot by the cycles of the moon, which is a really feminine energy. And that aspect really of my own practice, because there is a side of me that is really hardworking, which is a really masculine aspect, which is ambitious and strong, and I know where I want to head, and I put my energy out there in the world really strongly. And so from a personal perspective, I've always worked on this softness and the intuitive and how to be embodied as a female and so because these are my own personal practices because I know both sides of that energy it's something that I am able to share with other women and to teach them about all of the the myths and Mm. the um the stories that are so prevalent in India that people talk about all the time. They're a part of daily life Mm -hmm. and they experience life in the analogy of a mystical story. And to be able to bring that sacredness, to bring that ritual Mm -hmm. that we don't experience here, to give that to people is profound because it's missing and we crave it. And we don't go to church anymore and people have lost a lot of faith in organized religion. And to be able to go to a space where other people are conscious, they're connected, they're awakening and they're on the same path as you and they want to know more. I mean, that is Mm. that is powerful. And even for me, I get surprised at how many people will come to these to a full moon practice the last one we had was at the saint kilda above the saint kilda life-saving club at up athletic and it's an incredibly beautiful space we're overlooking the water it's such a gift to be able to practice there we had 55 people there and a wait list and we were saging and Mm -hmm. we have gunga water and we have sacred oils and we do powerful practices and i'm telling you i don't do the easy stuff i'm not I'm not, I don't know what the word is, but bringing people down. I'm pushing them and I'm making them do powerful, energetic breath work and strong postures. And we're chanting. And for a lot of people that is confronting to do mantra and to work with their voice is really, is not something that is done very often in the West. And I give these practices to people and they, they're in it. Wow. They're doing it. They do the work and the energy in the room is just phenomenal. It's which overwhelming. Is, which is so incredible because, and you know, I've been talking to some other teachers just recently, you know, about how, you know, chanting a lot more places are offering chanting and practices and um, they are being received. Whereas it feels like a few years ago, people would have turned it turned it away, turned away from it, or yes. turned their nose up at it. Yes. Whereas now people yes. are starting to go, okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's and, do it. You know, I kind of sit there and I think, wow, everything's changing at such a rapid rate. Yeah. And I'm also seeing so many guys turning up to yoga class. Hundred percent. So many guys really opening up mm-hmm. and being vulnerable, and um, yeah, there's such a shift happening. Yes, there is. And it's interesting that even a few years ago, people were not wanting to om at the start of a Mm. yoga class, which is crazy. That's mental. What Mm. is it then? Then we're really doing gymnastics. When you drop out of the spiritual, it becomes something really divorced Mm. from the tradition. And 
it's it's really great it it took me a while when I was working at the studio I think even from the owners at the start they were unsure whether it would be received well they knew that I was all over mm. it and I'd been in India and I'd been chanting pretty much non-stop for two months before I started. Yeah. So I said, okay, so yeah. let's just take it easy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I'll do my best. But that was the thing. It was a slow build with these students and they were open to it. And that was the thing that they loved about my classes was even though, look, I don't have a kind of a singing voice whatsoever <laughs> get me on a karaoke machine and it's a complete nightmare but when I chant and when I consecrate and chant it just moves through me yeah. and this is what I want to give to other teachers and students that no matter who has told you in your life that you're too loud that you have a bad voice not to speak up in whatever physical or energetic way that chanting is something that can heal you and that can open you up to be able to express yourself creatively and in a way that is perfect for you. Mm. The students loved when I chanted in class, but in fact, it's the vibrational tone of your own sound that will have the greatest impact on your body, on your transformation, on your own meditation practice. And like you said, I mean, with men as well, all of my private students are male. Mm. A lot of women will come to these practices, but there are a lot of men as well. And it's so interesting because traditionally yoga was only taught yeah. to men. Mm-hmm. And then it really became such a feminine practice when mm. it was brought over to the West. Mm. And I also think that there is a natural capacity for women to want to change that's a shakti energy we want to change we want to shift we want to grow and that is a struggle culturally and probably inherently in some ways Mm. for men and that is shifting too for them to be able to find the balance to open up to practices is is really important because we need it Mm. We need both ends of the spectrum. Totally. Yeah, I can definitely see guys just really starting to open up so much more. Um, You know, my husband, but then his friends as well. Yeah. Curious. There's a lot of curiosity as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 So good. Um, Okay. So we're nearing the end of the podcast. So can you share that practice we were talking about before? Yes, Yes, sure. so. So this is actually a practice that was taught to me uh, by Buddhist teachers. There's an incredible uh, Buddhist center in Brighton called Tara. And I started to go there with my mum when I was about, probably when I was about 19. They do great practices on Monday nights. And this is a practice that comes from that lineage of Buddhism, but you feel it through all of the yogic practices as well. And it is... A simple one that you can do for five minutes even every morning so I'll talk you through it now if you're listening you can close your eyes down and settle into a seat if you like the palms can face up and the tips of the thumbs and forefingers can touch and take a few conscious and deep breaths maybe in the nose and out of the mouth and let the shoulders often let the jaw and the forehead release and allow a general sensation of relaxation to wash over your body now allow the breath to become spontaneous and natural And watch the breath, the inflow and the outflow of the breath. And with every inhalation, begin now to visualize white light drawing in through the crown of the head. And as you exhale, You're exhaling out of the body grey smoke. 
And there's an effortlessness to the way that white light draws into the body on the inhale and an ease with which the grey smoke exits the body on the exhale. And as you exhale and push out this grey smoke, you are allowing any negativity, any disease or illness, any habits that aren't serving you, states of mind to easily and effortlessly exit the body. just by breathing. And the more you exhale this grey smoke, the more space there is in the body to draw in this beautiful white light. And with that white light you're drawing into the body anything you would like to manifest. Positive states of mind, calmness, abundance, an unconditionally loving energy. Perfect health until you start to sense and feel that all of that grey smoke is starting to exit the body completely and you are now wholly filled with white light. It's filling every organ, every tissue, every muscle. It's starting to seep out of every pore and surround you and your entire energy field with pure white light. positivity and love. And sense this white light as it surrounds you, protecting you from any negativity you may need to face in your day and allowing you to stay within this vibration of light and love. When you're ready, start to deepen your breath. Bring the hands together and rub the palms quickly feeling the heat of the light in the palms of your hands and then cup the eyes with the palms and take a full breath in the nose out of the mouth and release the hands down the face and gently open the eyes Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful practice and I'm sure everyone really got a lot out of that. Thank you, darling. You're welcome. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Now, just before we finish off the podcast, I have two last questions mm -hmm. for you. Um, so what does a whole life mean to you? Such a great question. For me, it is finding a balance I think between those two sides that we talked about, this aspect of being in the world, of having uh, a connection to 
my higher self or a greater power. It's about being in my feminine self, but also knowing that I've got to do the work. Mm -hmm. It's the intuitive part of my being and it is that side that needs structure. And when I have that and when I find balance in my life, then I feel a sense of wholeness. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that I can grasp onto for very long because it always changes and Mm -hmm. and it means putting a lot of effort into parts of my life that I can feel I'm lacking in some ways there was a time last year when I was doing so much work with the light collective that I had really forgotten to cultivate personal relationships and so that for me is a really big deal now it means doing a little less work but it means that I feel more whole in myself Mm -hmm. because I have that love connection in my life now and the same goes with having to be in the city and be connected to my students but also getting away and going into nature and connecting to that side which is uh, potent and uh, vibrant Mm -hmm. and alive So that's how I personally cultivate wholeness in my own life. And I get it right sometimes and I don't always get it right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really nicely explained. Um, And I totally totally get that because I feel that too. And it's that dance, that constant dance, isn't it? That's such a beautiful analogy. But but I also find that... um, having the yoga practices and having this sense of awareness of um of self of you know mm. our, our personal selves knowing what is our you know our maximum and yes. then you know what tools we can use to help bring us back into that balance yes. you know having that awareness means that we can always find that balance point whereas without the awareness you're just kind of thrown from thing to thing to thing that's so true and that is what's so powerful about doing Mm. a yoga practice or any kind of other spiritual practice that you might be doing it's exactly as you Mm. said knowing yourself you know your limits you know how far you can push yourself and it stops you from comparing yourself to anyone else who might be able to do 10 more things than you to be able to say okay I know my limits Mm -hmm. I know I need to sleep eight hours yeah and I have to eat really well Mm. so I have not been doing that I'm going to do that for myself and I guess all of that self-care is really important and it's it's part of it's part of my practice too when I notice that I'm going too far then I step into a a lot of Ayurvedic self-care practices dry brushing abhyanga warm oil massage oil pulling Mm. cleansing practices that I don't have to do all of the time Mm -hmm. but they're again this beautiful set of tools that can help to bring me in balance when I feel like I'm wavering Mm. and actually for people who feel out of balance within themselves, I will often encourage them to look into Ayurveda and the different body types because that's exactly what it mm. is about. It's mm-hmm. about knowing your prakruti, your body-mind type, your limits, what works for you. I mean, mm-hmm. when I go out on a windy day, I totally freak out. My energy goes all over the place because I have a lot of what's called vata energy. Whereas, <laughs> yes, whereas my beautiful mm. friend, Nat, has so much kapha. She could stand in the wind. She wants to open up every window and that uh, enlivens her. And mm-hmm. knowing yourself through all of these ancient tools is so powerful yeah yeah beautiful so good so i'm sure that everyone listening wants to hear what you've got coming up and wants to know more about what you're up to so just a quick little synopsis of the you know what's happening over the next six months sure so we have a lot of practices going on in the next two weeks we have a divine feminine morning and this is an incredible urban goddess morning retreat we start early we have a sunrise practice and we're focusing on Kali Ma, who is one of the goddesses, and we have a beautiful breakfast and we do energy work and asana and meditation and connect into that divine feminine 
in the self. So that's coming up on the 4th of March. After that, I'm heading to Bali and I'm taking a retreat at a very simple and uh, special ashram. And that is over Nyepi, which is the day of silence. So we'll be looking at the practices of silence and sound in yoga to create a stillness within that goes for eight days it's 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 very Mm. yogic living at the ashram Mm -hmm. which is what i love there's Mm. a real grassroots simplicity to it Mm. after that i'll be holding the first of my teacher trainings Mm. which is a three-day workshop called creating the soulful practice and it's really been designed because people have asked me a lot about where I taught, how I have created practices that are quite different from other people. And in this way, I really want to share how you can have a practice which is soulful, which draws upon pranayama, meditation, mantra, energy work, Mm. consecration, how all of these things can be part of your own voice and how you can share all the things that you know as a yoga teacher are possible because when you get into your yoga teacher training it's Mm mind-blowing i mean the yoga sutras and you've got um bhagavad gita and you have all of these practices that you don't experience in an everyday class and to be able to show people show teachers meditators i've got meditation teachers i've got naturopaths i've got healers coming how you can use these as tools in your own classes to create your own workshops to uh, help your students is really i think a big part of where i'll be moving towards Mm -hmm. as a teacher because a lot of what i do isn't necessarily always for beginners Mm. Uh, so I really love working with yoga teachers so I'll be doing that in Changu uh, for three days I'll come back in April and then I'll be doing a chanting workshop and that will be at Madame Heap which is in Albert Park then I have a women's circle coming up at Willow which is an incredible urban retreat that's opening up in Armadale and then I've got the Melbourne teacher training which is happening. That's all happening before the end of April. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in May, I might be heading, this is still in planning, but I might be heading to Japan and we will be doing a sacred walking trail through the Shinto shrines and Buddhist temples and combining yoga practices and walking and meditation wow. and Buddhism into a retreat. So that is coming up in May and potentially also September. And then I have two other retreats planned uh, up in Byron Bay in the Mullumbimby Ranges. We have an incredible space, which is in the middle of a rainforest on the top of a mountain. And the prana, the life force in this place is phenomenal. And Mm. we do a lot of energetic practices during that retreat so it's a lot about waking up with the sunrise and Mm. you see the sun rising over the ocean across the valley I can't even Mm. it's just amazing and we have beautiful food cooked by our Mm. Italian chef Rosa and there's it's vegetarian but it's also Italian. We yeah. have bread. We do bread at the Light Collective. <laughs> bread, yes. <laughs> we have bread and pasta. Yeah. Um, so we have those mm. coming up and we also do a bit of Qigong and we have mm. uh, Kahuna Masseuse who comes in and does energetic massage. And wow. the whole experience is, is really great. And I love taking people on these journeys because for me it's an opportunity to – lift their vibration for a while because it's really hard to do that in the city some some teachers can do it there are elevated beings that exist Mm. on this planet Mm -hmm. who are able to be in any situation and they can they can hold Mm. the space Mm -hmm. they can connect with divine consciousness and with the deepest parts of themselves and 
I think for the rest of us mere mortals, we have to do a lot of work and we need to support ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when I can give people a boost like that in a beautiful space and we always attract incredible Mm. people, they're always grounded, but Mm. they're connected and they're awakening and they're conscious. And when I can give that over five days, Mm. I can see really deep shifts unfolding in people's lives Amazing. and that for me is that's what i want that's it what it's all about I have my arms <laughs> up in the air yeah and that's that's it for me yeah so so those are the retreats that are happening but every month pretty much mm. or every second month we mm-hmm. do a full moon yoga practice mm-hmm. and those are especially great ways for people to connect in with yeah. the light collective and as well as private classes and mm-hmm. um, I collaborate with a couple of studios. Great. So yeah, Great. I love there are many how you ways. have a broad range of offerings. Yes. You know, so it just means that, you know, <laughs> if you're not ready to do a retreat or something like yeah. that, you still get the experience and it's not, you know, yes, you don't 50 have to bucks, commit. 60 bucks, That's you know, right. it's not, yes. you know, hundreds of, yes. or thousands, you know, so yeah. it's great that you have all of those different levels. And yes. the other thing I wanted to say is um, what I really value about what you're bringing to the yoga community is you are incorporating the ancient practices and bringing them into um, you know, a format that's accessible for us now um, and translating it into a way that we can understand in our modern lifestyles. Because I think that's always the challenge is that there's mm. these beautiful practices, but they feel so far out there almost. Um, and how and, do we do that know, in how the do city? We kind of bring the two together mm-hmm. so that we can translate it into a way that really supports our own lives. And I think that you're doing that brilliantly. So thank, thank you. you, thank, thank you so you. much, thank you so much. This has been a fabulous um, conversation. I really hope that everyone's enjoyed this. I'll put all of um, Cyan's details on the um, website and also um, on the show notes for this um, episode. Thanks so much, Cyan. And you, I can't. Can't wait to see you again soon. <laughs> and that's the end of another episode. I do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights. You can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website claire-bradshaw.com or subscribe to iTunes to ensure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a rating on iTunes as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people. My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world. And I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.